Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine. He's the author of The Friendship Advantage and Forum, The Secret Advantage of Successful Leaders book. He's a seasoned business speaker, addressed groups from more than 30 different countries, and is trusted by more than 20,000 CEOs. He's been the executive director of the Entrepreneurs Organization, a facility member at Growth Institute, the president of Forum Resource Network. Please welcome Mo Fathelbob. Mo, great to have you on the show. Great to be with you, Greg. Sorry, that's a mouthful of a lot of stuff. I have to shorten these names. <laughs> I've clearly been talking too much this morning because my tongue is dry, but we'll get through it. Um, Mo, we focus on this podcast on endurance and the endurance mindset, and I would love to know how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly? I think that is a great question. I, you know, I think the first thing that comes to mind when uh, you ask me that question is um, marathons and, and triathlons and ultimately uh, doing an Ironman. Um, and so if I go back to, you know, my first marathon and, and, you know, if you've never done a marathon, it sounds like a monumentous event that is nearly impossible. Of course, more and more people are doing them these days, but, uh, you know, it was nothing to ever be, uh, trifled with. And it was certainly something that, uh, was scary to even ponder for me before I did the first one. Uh, but when you're in the midst of training for a marathon, you know, the mindset is always, okay, can I do more than last time? Okay. Can I be more resilient? Can I learn to cope and understand what my body's telling me and when this is just a pain that I'm going to work through. And when I may be nearing some injury, and, you know, I've certainly had both. Um, and then, you know, uh, to pile on top of that, you know, the, the Ironman, that really was something that was uh, requiring of an endurance mindset. Again, both in the training, which, which was, in my case, uh, 13 weeks from doing an Olympic distance triathlon. There was a 13-week program to, to add to it to get to the Ironman level, and then the event itself. It's all about the endurance mindset. And, you know, at the time, I probably knew that it was really going to be a meaningful uh, event for me. But what I maybe didn't know is how it would shape my thinking about endurance, um, you know, for the rest of my life with, with anything that I undertake. Well, let's dig into that. Thank you for the, the softball. Um... You just meant it shaping your thinking in the rest of your life. Expand on that a little bit more, please, Mo. Yeah, I mean, just by way of example, I recently heard, uh, you know, a quote, and it went like this. There is no such thing as failure as long as you don't quit. And in these events, you know, you have to say to yourself, this is just a matter of I'm going to do it. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. And it's just a matter of training and uh persistence and the right mindset. And with all of those things, um, you know, it's not a matter of whether I'm going to succeed or fail. It's just a matter, a matter of when I'm going to succeed. It's just, it's just, it's just when it's not whether. Very well said. Um, I'd love to hear how you apply that same mindset to your business and the CEOs that you work with. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, listen, my most fresh current example, uh, we just started a brand new business called International Facilitators Organization. And um, you've known me long enough now to know how much I'm dedicated to peer groups. And, uh, you know, for 30 years, I've had the blessing of doing peer groups, mostly for CEOs, along the way of, you know, other groups, including underrepresented minorities at Google, including Harvard Business School alumni, high school principals, you know, the list goes on. But with this new business, as with any new business, as an entrepreneur yourself, I know you could, you could relate, you know, there's this apprehension. Oh my God, is this business going to work? Is it going to succeed? Will people actually sign on the dotted line? Will they send us money? Will, will, we, will we make it? And as I have these doubts, you know, I'm not going to tell you I never have a doubt. Uh, but as I have these doubts, I go back to the very principle, you know what? Well, there is no failure. It's just a question of how much I'm going to work, how hard I'm going to work, what we might have to change. Maybe plan A is not the right plan. What do we have to tweak? Uh, but at the end of the day, we're going to keep going until it works, until it is a success. Because I believe in the true north. Uh, and we started it because I've always thought every human being deserves to be in a peer group. And uh, in this business, we thought, well, we're going to narrow it down to a more reasonable uh, 1 billion people. And uh, so our goal is to reach a billion people by uh, 2053. And I, I see your chuckle a little bit interesting. Is a billion sound monumental? Uh, but how many members does Facebook have? Two billion, I think. Maybe even more. Um, so, you know, it is possible if we think outside the box a little bit and if we believe. And, uh, and if we just say, hey, you know what? It's just a matter of length. Maybe it's not going to happen on schedule. Maybe it'll happen faster. Uh, but it's not, it's not whether, it's when. I love the journey and the aspiration for sure. And you're, you're spot on, right? If you change the perspective, the goal doesn't seem as daunting, right? The marathon doesn't seem as long if you look at it as 26 one-mile intervals. Um, uh, so digging into that a little bit more, Mo, and you mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, just doing a little bit, you're talking about your training, just doing a little bit more this time, a little bit more this time. Um, as you go through that and you're, and you're making your progression, at some point in time, you got to step back and assess sort of where you are and where you're going. Talk to us about that part of the journey, especially as you're building this new business. At, at what point in time will you and your partners take a stop and say, okay, where have we been? Where are we going? Are we still, are we really going towards true north or is true north moved? Talk to us about that sort of assessment part of the, of the journey. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go back to the, the running and the sports for a second before I come back to the business piece of it. And so when I'm running a marathon, you know, it's always, I'm always doing the math. How much time is left? What's my pace? What have I completed? What's left? And as it starts to feel like it's getting closer to the finish line, it's coincidentally, for me, getting tougher. But the line game is, hey, I'm that much closer. I'm that much closer. I'm that much closer. And in doing so, it resets my mind to say, hey, look what I've done. Look how much I have covered. Look how much I am feeling okay, given it's 20 miles then. Or as in the case of the Ironman, I've already swam 2.4 miles and I'm 100 miles in the bike ride. And I still have 
a few more miles of biking and still a full marathon. Um, so I think in the business context that goes back to what are your goals? What are the milestones? And am I making these milestones? And how much closer am I to the next set of milestones? Um, and so goal setting certainly is an important part of the process. And while sometimes uh, the goals seem lofty when, when we make a business plan and, and, and the real life doesn't you know, pan out the same way, I say, hey, are we still making progress? And if we're not, where are we stuck? And if we're stuck, what do we need to change? Who do we need to get to help us? But there's a way. Um, you know, one of my favorite uh, EO members was uh, one of the founders of the Toronto chapter, uh, Jeff Dennis. You know, I'll never forget. And, and he said this to me. I was sitting with him and his partner, Grant, in the 90s. I mean, this could have been 1996. I don't remember exactly. And I'll never forget what they said. They said, you know what? We're going to knock on the front door. If nobody answers, we're going to go to the back door. And if that doesn't work, we're going to go to the basement door. And if that doesn't work, we're going to knock on the windows. And, and that, for me, was such a beautiful metaphor to say, it's a mentality of never quit. Never quit. There's always a way in. And you just got to figure out what that way is. Maybe, maybe the original door didn't work, but there are so many other ways in. That's right. And perhaps there's a door that's already open. <laughs> perhaps there's a door that's already open. Exactly. I, I love it, Mo. You, you also talked about um, being stuck. And I would appreciate your insights on, as an entrepreneur, when we feel, and an athlete, when we feel stuck, we feel stuck in our training, we feel stuck in our business, we feel stuck, just stuck. Yeah. How do you, one, identify that you're feeling, that you're stuck? And then what is your process to sort of get unstuck? Yeah. I mean, you know, in some ways, Greg, I would tell you this new business is a new approach to my lifelong mission, right? So to some extent, I could tell you, I feel absolutely blessed to have reached over 20,000 CEOs and to have done this work in 30 countries. You know, by any measure, that's a success. But if you want to reach a billion people, you could say, ah, we haven't recently cracked. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this new business is yet another approach because I have to multiply the efforts. One facilitator is not enough. How do we get to a billion people? Well, so I did the math. I think I've now actually reached about 30,000 CEOs over the last 30 years. And so a billion divided by 30,000 is 33,333 facilitators. So International Facilitators Organization, our goal is to get to 33,333 facilitators. And that each of them can do as much work as I've had the blessing to do in this space. The math works. And by the way, three of my lucky numbers. I feel really good about this. Three is an amazing number. That was my soccer number when I played many, many years ago. Um, well, let's go to that day, the day that you hit the billion. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What's the, I'm assuming you have visioned and felt and got into that nitty gritty. Talk to us about that day that whatever metric, however you're tracking it, ticks over that one last individual to hit the billion. What does that feel like for you? You know, I'm going to go back to why uh, that matters to me. And, and I'll, I'll get into that momentarily. So for me, um, you know, I've, literally seeing this process change my life 
and I've seen it change many, many lives. And I'm still surprised while I shouldn't be when I run into somebody who says, you know, whatever we did that day at that retreat changed my life. And I've heard, I've heard that many times and I, I don't take it for granted, but part of the reason I'm passionate about this is I believe if you're in a peer group with people that are supportive, where you have a process, a structure, a confidential environment where people are not judgmental, so they could be vulnerable, so they could be real, we end up with actual growth. We actual, actually affect people's lives. And to me, that also bridges gaps. And so in this world today, we've got such divide, even in our own country, between various factions and various beliefs. But what I learned is when you really get to know what's behind somebody's decision, it's much harder to judge why they made that decision. And so on the surface, you could look at somebody and judge them based on any number of categories. But what I've seen time and time again is when you get to know the human being, we connect at a level that says, you know what, we're all the same. We all have our struggles. And that makes us more empathetic to one another. And I think that really will make the world a better place because, um, you know, it's hard to be real and vulnerable and see the humanity in people and still have anger and aggression and, um, and, and ill will towards other people. So, you know, what does it look like? It looks like we have a, a world that's just a bit more understanding and love. You're making my skin tingle. That's a, an amazing vision and you're spot on. Um, Thank you. You know, you mentioned judgment and the question that popped into my mind was as an individual and you're in a situation, how can you identify that you're being judgmental without understanding the other person or having that connection? Like when do, as the person that's, has that feeling in a conversation or in a connection, what are some indicators that, hey, Greg, you're being a little judgmental here? Yeah. I mean, one simple example that, that I've noticed and I catch myself, um, you know, you might be walking down the street and you see a homeless person. And when you see that homeless person, you know, some people are scared. Some people are concerned. Some people want to help. Some people want to get as far as they can. Some people might look at this person and say, what's wrong with them? And what I realized is maybe, maybe my initial intrinsic reaction is not a positive one, but I've trained myself. The moment I catch myself thinking anything that is not positive about anybody that I interact with, and I'm not really a religious person, but I literally say a prayer for them. I'm like, you know, I wish them well. I wish them the best. And I think that softens um, my perspective. It, it gives me a little bit more uh, of an understanding and an empathy. Uh, because, you know, I believe people don't always understand that they have some level of control over their circumstances. Or maybe they don't. Um, but the one thing I've learned from all these CEOs and entrepreneurs, and, and that's been hardwired from my work at entrepreneurs organization is what separates the successful CEO entrepreneurs from people that 
maybe are less successful. And I'm not just talking monetarily. I'm talking about, you know, having your life together is what I call, uh, you know, the belief in yourself, the belief that you could overcome the resilience. Um, and, and I'm working on, 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 a, on a possible book about that. Um, so I'm not going to spoil it with, with the title, but you know, um, it's something along, along the words of, of agency. Like if you believe you have agency to improve, to change a circumstance that isn't working for you, that belief alone is going to give you the conviction to go find a way to do that. Um, and so I don't assume everybody has that, um, agency, uh, but I, I wish them the best with that. I just, in my head, I'm like, in my heart, I'm like, you know what? I wish them the best. And, uh, and so that's, that's how I catch myself. That's a great, I'm human too. That's a great approach. Um, and a tool that I certainly will use going forward. I, but you mentioned a book, a new book coming out. So I'm excited to see that when it finally hits the streets. Um, changing topics slightly. Talk to us about the book writing process. Like, how did your book come to fruition? Where was the passion? When did it? When did you realize that this was going to come out of your fingers and into paper and into Amazon? And um, yeah, those of us that are starving to be a book publisher, a book, a published author, I. Uh, Talk to those audience members about that process. Well, I have to start with inspiration. And so, uh, you know, Vern Harnish, he's the founder of, of EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization, and uh, a guru of our day. And, you know, thousands of executives go to his programs every year. And um, it started with Vern saying to, you know, a thousand people in the audience, every one of you has a book in you. Every one of you. And you know, you stop and pause and, and think about that. And he says, look, if nothing else, your book is the best brochure you could possibly create to elevate yourself to the next level. So that was the spark. And from that spark, I wrote my first book and, you know, Forum, The Secret Advantage of Successful Readers. You know, again, it's online with my mission, which has been my mission since, since you know, basically very early in my, in my professional career. Uh, but that book took me eight years. And it took me eight years because, you know, I was busy. I had a job. I got distracted. I got super busy and I got back to my work. And then I had a free moment. Um, I couldn't decide whether to publish or self-publish. And, you know, there was just a lot of noise that, that got in my way. But I finally got it done in eight years. Um, and with that book, I one of the things that got me over the finish line is I did hire an editor. I did hire a ghostwriter. And the ghostwriter was not a random person. It was a member of one of my forums, one of my peer groups who understood the process intimately. And that made it a lot easier. You know, I read the book today and it is 1000% my voice. When I read it, I don't feel for a second like, oh, this is not me uh, because it was a very collaborative effort. But that was, that was the first book. Uh, the second book I vowed to myself, I'm gonna get this done in under a year. Absolutely, positively. Um, so my process was start with the outline and every flight, write a chapter. And then send it over to the editor, get it cleaned up. And, uh, you know, before you know it, voila, 10 months later, uh, it was that. How long were the flights? <laughs> you know, I guess the average flight for me is probably two hours, something like that. And sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're longer, but I would say a couple hours uh, on average. 
background. Awesome. Um, so you mentioned your mission, your mission in life. A lot of us struggle with sort of figuring out what our purpose is, what our why, what our mission is. When did you discover yours? Articulate mm. a little bit more and, and when did you discover it? You know, so just last week I heard a beautiful thing. Um, there was, there was in one of the peer groups that I was working with, one of the uh, participants was struggling with this very question. You know, what is my purpose? Uh, and, and in this case, this person had built the business, sold the business, and uh, he's still young. And it's like, well, now what? And it's not a theory about money anymore. And that raised this question that was very challenging for this person. And two people in the room said something that I never heard before that I thought was beautiful. And what it was is, you don't find your mission or your purpose. Your purpose finds you. And as I reflect back, you know, I was a finance major. You know, I never actually thought I was going to do anything along the lines of what I do for a living today, but I was a finance major. And as part of that, I ended up taking a class in entrepreneurship. And so then I met Vern. And through that, as I started to work at EO, we met YPO. And through that, YPO being the Young President's Organization, for those that don't know. And through that, um, I attended a uh, training to teach us how to be members of these peer groups, a forum training. And that was the day. That was the day that I thought, this is incredible. I love this work. And that's what I want to do. Um, so I got lucky. And uh, really in 97, after six years after that day, I decided to take my favorite part of my job and make it my business. And that has become a paradigm for me. Still, I always ask myself, is there a favorite part of my current job? that I will make my business going forward. Uh, because one of the luxuries of being an entrepreneur is hopefully you get to do what you love and not the stuff that you don't love. Yeah. People that are better at it, that are more passionate uh, about it to do those, those other parts. Very true. Um, so let's go into your journey. You know, I've, I briefly touched on you know, being the executive director of EO, some other things that you're involved in, but let's step back many, many years and, and talk about your journey from wherever you want to begin to now. And then after that, we'll dig into what you're doing now and, and educate the audience on, on what the Forum Resource Network does. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I think I have to go back uh, maybe further than you expected, but as a, as a kid, um, I think I was shy. I know I was shy. Uh, I know my self-esteem was not where I wanted it to be. Um, I know that as a teenager, there were, you know, certainly at least a couple of nights that I went to bed in tears that I just wasn't happy with, with who I am versus what I wanted in life. Um, and so that was the beginning. And, um, you know, perhaps I felt left out of a couple of situations that were painful for me and, uh, not perhaps, in fact, I was, and, um, that, that kind of fueled me. Uh, one morning I woke up and I said, you know what? I'm not going to be a victim and I'm going to take this on. And I took it on and I started with doing little entrepreneurial projects. You know, I would paint house numbers on curbs and literally go knock door to door uh, to get people to buy our services. And, and, you know, even eighth grade, I'd come home after school with 140 bucks. Wow. Um, so that's, you know, pretty good money, especially back then. Uh, but that was kind of the first stepping out of my comfort zone. Um, and I kind of started to realize that 
when I had a reason to speak for somebody, I was very much able to do it. Uh, but I had to have a reason. I couldn't, I couldn't just do it intrinsically. I, I kind of had to find a, a, a reason. And that was, that was the beginning of, of the journey for me. Um, I went on and, and did that even in, uh, in college. I got a job at a place called Bridges Great Outdoors, uh, where I sold clothes. And I took that job really for two reasons. One, to continue to expand my ability to be socially comfortable and get out of my social awkwardness uh, and to meet girls. And uh, I, I, not only did I love that job, but I ended up being, you know, the top two salesperson in the whole company. I sold a half a million dollars of clothes in 1989. And uh, so that was, again, just a boost of confidence and a step in that direction. Um, then when I got to college, I took a speech class. And I, I mean, I remember getting up there the first time and my mouth went dry. I forgot half what I had to say. My, my knees were shaking. Uh, but. You know, I had a metaphor from my, my grandfather, God, uh, may he rest in peace. And uh, when I was a kid, he must have seen a wimpy side of me in some way, shape, or form. And, and what he said was that I'll never forget. And I only remember a few things from him because he died when I was seven. But uh, what he said was, if you're in the jungle and you encounter a lion, reach in its mouth and yank its guts out. And to me, that just said, when you're afraid of something, step in now. Don't wait and let it fester and let your fear grow and get the worst of you. And so that just became uh, a motivator for me to say, do I fear fear here? Step it up, get it done, get it over with. And eventually, uh, you know, the more I did that, the more I became comfortable. And I did Toastmasters for a few years, again, to get comfortable speaking in front of folks. And um, so the very long answer, to your short question is, I believe what I do today is very much connected to my own pains growing up. And how do I help other people in this regard? And uh, maybe how do I keep filling the void? You know, I think uh, as human beings, you know, when I see somebody who's worth a hundred million dollars, who's still afraid about money, you know, we're still working through these early wounds and down. Uh, it is what it is, but that's a pattern that I see in folks. And maybe that's part of my, my journey in that regard. That's thank you for sharing it. So tell us what you're doing today. Like what is, you, we talked about the, uh, with the international facilitators, facilitators organization. Yeah. Um, yeah. what about the forum resource network? Like talk to us about the services you're offering, what kind of groups you get in front of those types of yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll give you kind of the range, uh, and I'll start with uh, the most recent is we're working with SHRM, which is Society for Human Resource Management. Um, and with SHRM, uh, they've started something called their Executive Network, which is their top 1,200 members uh, out of their 350,000 members. And uh, so for that network, I MC and host a monthly speaker series, and I MC uh, two of their annual conferences, and uh, it's really just a fun uh, engagement with, you know, the top HR leaders in the U.S. and, and from other parts of the world. And, um, you know, that's been really interesting, new and gratifying. And I also do some keynote speaking uh, along the way uh, for Sherman and other organizations. So that's one side of the work. And I, what I love about that is I get to reach more people because, you know, the reason I wrote my second book, which I didn't get to in my earlier answer, is... The first book 
really was about the peer groups very specifically. But what I started to realize is when somebody is having a great peer group experience, they say, I've shared things with you guys I haven't shared with my best friends. Or they say things like, you guys are closer to me than my family. And um, while initially I, I felt a lot of pride when I heard those things, and I still do, something bothered me, and that is this peer group isn't supposed to take the place of your family or your best friends. It's supposed to help you be the best version of yourself. Um, so the second book, The Friendship Advantage, was really about what is the DNA that makes these peer groups so powerful? And how do we take that DNA and apply it to relationships in general? So back to why I love doing the keynotes is because if there's a thousand people in the audience, I feel like I impact and give the, 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 this beautiful methodology to more people so they can use it in other parts of life, even if they're not in a peer group. And um, so that's, that's that part of the business. Uh, International Facilitators Organization really is about marketing and providing education and certification and training and a community for the 33,333 facilitators that we will have one day. Uh, as far as Foreign Resources Network, uh, we provide consulting services, whether it be for peer groups or executive leadership teams. Uh, so we work with a lot of leadership teams as well. Again, a lot of the, um, the DNA that make peer groups work so effectively applies to executive teams. And often the CEOs will say, hey, Mo, what you did here for my peer group has created such a powerful relationship and dynamic and open and honest communication. Can you do this for our executive team? And so we do this for a lot of companies as well. And uh, it's, it's really just uh, rewarding and meaningful and uh, a blessing to be able to do this work. Are there any common indicators for a management team that having this facilitation would be beneficial? Well, I think every management team can benefit because here's what I see everywhere I go. And maybe I only see what I see, but I see, you know, communication issues. I see miscommunication issues. I see lack of trust. I see relationships that are superficial. I see where people are being treated, you know, as, as numbers or as commodities versus as human beings. And um, what we know today, you know, something that comes up quite often in my work with SHRAM is there's a mental health issue and that affects the quality of work. It affects the quality of people, uh, people's ability to show up to work. And, um, you know, there's this concept of showing up as your whole self. And when you show up as your whole self, people get you, they understand you, they empathize with you, they help you. And they've got each other's backs. Um, but if you just show up and you work in your silo and your, your desk and everybody doesn't talk to anybody or they're not connected, um, it's not as rewarding an ex as an, ex an experience because, you know, we spend 60 hours a week at work, 50 hours a week at work. It's a big chunk of our lives. So let's have it be as meaningful as the rest of our lives. If not more. Absolutely. Um, and the mental health piece is crucial and it's just in our face at the moment um, and as it should be because it's it's that important curious doing the pre-pandemic post-pandemic sort of comparison how have you seen your workshop participants or the management teams change with their mm -hmm. perspective of the work that you do from five years ago to today 
you know, two things come to mind immediately. The first is um, with our work with Google, when we started um, to talk about the contract with them in October of 2019, and they said, we want to do these peer groups virtually. I thought, well, I've never done this virtually. And I shared this with them. Yeah, up until then, all this work had only been in person. And uh, they said, yeah, we understand. But we're willing to experiment, and see how it goes. And I believe it is because of the pandemic and the isolation, these groups thrived. And they were as vulnerable, if not more, than my experience had been with groups that met in person. And what then I would say I've noticed since, again, perhaps because of what COVID did to us. You know, because COVID for me was the first time in my life that I knew for certainty everybody was suffering in some way, mm. right? The whole world. And I think that gave us an opportunity. And so my second answer to your question is we know today mental health professionals are absolutely at capacity and there's not enough supply for the demand that's out there. And so in that regard, what I've noticed in our business is a much higher demand and a much, much higher propensity for people to understand the value of this work. Uh, because before that, it was seen as, as you know, the soft stuff, the touchy-feely. Uh, but I think now it's becoming seen as a necessity. And, um, you know, I think that's just, it's just wonderful. Uh, you know, sadly, it's at the expense of people suffering. But it's wonderful that people are actually able to say, I need help. And that companies are providing mental health resources. And that it is okay to say, I'm taking a mental health day off. Certainly. Um, for those audience members that are seeking peer groups, what's your advice to finding a peer group? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, listen, if you have a business that does at least 1 million in sales and you are the owner or the founder, you could join EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. If you are president or CEO of a company that has at least 15 million in sales and 50 employees, you could join the Young Presidents Organization. Um, and somewhere in between those, uh, there is an organization called Vistage, which is, you know, global, worldwide, for-profit, a little different from the Young Presidents Organization or the Entrepreneurs Organization. But again, it's a place for uh, business people to join a peer group. Uh, hopefully soon, there'll be other peer groups that you could join. Uh, certainly, we are thinking about how we could offer these to the public uh, because so far, everything we've done is the B2B2C. But certainly, there's a hunger. I believe for people to join these groups uh, in general, uh, but you could also start your own group. Uh, and the guidebook is my first book and it'll give you the blueprint for how to do it, how to run it. Uh, and the key here is to find a group of people that you consider peers with whom you don't have any conflict of interest. And so, you know, we don't want you to be in a peer group with your board member or your boss or your mother-in-law or anybody that is going to affect your ability to be open, honest and be uh, completely yourself. And then finally, Mo, um, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, yes, you could find me on LinkedIn, Mo Fakelbab, and uh, you could find me on our website, forumresourcesnetwork.com, uh, one of our websites. And uh, I'm also uh, at Mo at, at, Mo at forumresourcesnetwork.com. Fantastic, and we'll include those in the show notes. Um, one other question just popped into my head. If somebody is interested in being one of those 30, 33,333 facilitators, is there a way to get in touch with you or 
get into that process? Absolutely, absolutely. You reach out uh, the same way that uh, that I've just shared. Um, the website for the new business is literally in beta. It's going to be launched any day, uh, but it, it is up. It's just not fully complete just yet. Internationalfacilitatorsorganization.com. Fantastic. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, some of the highlights for me when we talked about being judgmental and take recognizing that as a as a human and then wishing whatever you're being judgmental towards, just wishing them well and giving that little bit of positive energy out there. I think that's a really great tool um, for those of us that feel sometimes feel judgmental. I I also love when we started to talk about um, endurance and the endurance mindset about just doing a little bit more than last time, just taking that one step forward. Um, and then finally, when we talked about there is no failure, right? It's just a matter of not quitting and being able to let your true north change and having a way to assess where you are, where you've been, where you're going. All that is great content for this audience. Um, and so a message to our audience, if you got some good content from our podcast today, we ask that you subscribe to the show. Please share this with your friends and family. You know, this message doesn't go anywhere unless you share it. Um, so please uh, be part of the community and express uh, Mo's learnings, Mo's uh, inspiration. Read his books when you get a chance because it's truly this peer-to-peer relationship building is life-changing and it's changed my life for sure. Um, Mo, it's been great having you on the show. It's always wonderful to connect with you. Thank you, Greg. Pleasure being with you. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.